Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is that every believer would not just attend church, but also hear from God daily through His Word. As we read the Bible, we begin to see how God responds to things. Doing daily devotions repatterns the way we think, transforms the spirit of our mind, and helps us become more like Jesus. Join us here, Monday through Friday, as various pastors and leaders at Fusion Church share devotion and teaching through that day's soap scripture. Download the current soap reading plan at fusionchurch.cc soap. Father, we just want to thank you again for the opportunity, Lord, uh, to meet with you our creator. And we thank you, Lord, for being able to meet with brothers and sisters, Lord. And even though it's by a, uh, a Zoom, Lord, we can have a still a relationship with each other. And we thank you, Holy Spirit. You're the great teacher. And we just pray that you would breathe upon this particular chapter, help us to apply it uh, in our everyday life and to be able to live it. So, Father, we, we come with an expectant heart uh, to meet you, and we just ask this, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, uh, let's read Second Samuel chapter 11. Then it happened in the spring at the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed, and he walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is it not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. And she sent and told David and said, I'm pregnant. But David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord. And he did not go down to his house. Now, when they told David, saying, Uriah, did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, stay here today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. 
Now it came about in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he had written in the letter saying, place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle and withdraw for him so that he may be struck down and die. So it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. And the men of the city went out and fought against Joab. And some of the people among David's servants fell. And Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. And he charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jehoshaphat? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Tebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you're to say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. And the messenger said to David, the men prevailed against us, and they came against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall. So some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah, the Hittite, is also dead. And David said to the messenger, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it, and so encourage him. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Amen. Well, I would say most of us have heard this story uh, at some point uh, in our journey. Uh, it's a pretty famous story. And as I'm looking it over, uh, there's three major points that strike me in the story. Number one, uh, is that we're living in a world that can tempt us and pull us away from God. Number two, uh, there are steps we can take to overcome the temptations that come on us. And number three, if we yield to sin and in a sense go down the tubes, there are steps we can take to receive God's forgiveness and be restored back into a relationship with him. So that's what I like is to, to look at those three specific points. But before I go further, I just want to state David was an amazing man of God. Uh, in the New Testament, he's told he's a man after God's heart. He loved the Lord, I believe, with all of his heart, his mind, and his soul. Let me just give you um, some statements of David, just so you, you get the right perspective of that this man was not some kind of a um, fleshly kind of a follower of the Lord, but, but somebody that was deeply committed. Uh, in Psalm 27, uh, David said this, Psalm 27, 4, One thing I've asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, 
that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He said that I had one passion. He said, I just want to seek God. I want to seek him. If you look at Psalm 63 and verses one to four, listen again to David's heart. Oh God, you're my God. I shall seek thee earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. Thus I beheld you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because I love and kindness. It's better than life. My lips will praise thee. I will bless thee as long as I live. So here we are, a man that deeply loves the Lord. So the question that comes to my mind, how could somebody that committed to the Lord, somebody walking so closely with the Lord, how could they go down the tubes that quickly? I mean, if you look at the story, David really slips. He slips hard into sin. Number one, he lusts after Bathsheba. Number two, he commits adultery with Bathsheba. Number three, he tries to cover his sin. If you notice the story, um, if he can get Uriah out of the way, then it's going to look like Uriah got her pregnant. So he basically invites Uriah to come in off the battlefield and says, hey, Uriah, you've had a tough time out there fighting. Go home to your wife, knowing that ideally he's going to go home and, and have sex with his wife. And now we can blame the baby on Uriah. Uriah is faithful. He says, no way. I'm not going to do that. All my buddies are out there fighting. There's no way I can do that. And David tries even harder to get him to be with his wife. He actually gets him drunk, <clears throat> hoping that if he's so looped out of his mind, he's going to go home. And again, it's going to look like he got his wife pregnant. <laughs> but Uriah, again, doesn't budge. So as a last-ditch effort, David actually tells Joab, set this guy up. He's got to be killed uh, because he's trying to, again, cover the sin that he has committed. And what's interesting, David is not the only one that, in a sense, slips and slides into sin. We saw, as we've looked at some of the other soaps, saw the first king of Israel. Guess what? Starts out great, but ends up terrible. David gets himself in a mess. And guess what? David's son Solomon, who literally is called the wisest man that lived, even Solomon again slips into sin. So what, what's the deal? Why is these things happening to so these three men that start off well, but, but have big issues? Which leads to my first point. We need to realize we're in a world that's fallen from Adam and Eve. And we live in an environment that tempts us to get away from God and to break his laws. And who's the author of the temptations? Well, we know it's Satan. Uh, I'm going to give you some scripture verses here. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Uh, Peter says this, be on the alert. And that's not just for the people in the Bible. That's for everybody here on the screen. 
not only just for the people on the screen, this is really for the whole world per se. First <clears throat> Peter 5, 8, be on the alert, your adversary, an adversary that somebody is out to get you and pull you down. Be on the alert, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In other words, Satan is watching us carefully because he wants to knock us out and he wants to devour us. Jesus said something similar in John chapter 10, 10. Uh, Jesus comes with a very good attitude. He says, I came that you might have life and have it what? Abundantly. But it says the thief, i.e. Satan, comes what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. And I'll tell you, just look at our society, and you are seeing a lot of people where the blessings of God are being stolen from them, where basically uh, they're being destroyed and some are being killed by overdoses of drugs, by suicide. Uh, Satan is on the loose. And you might say, okay, uh, he's prowling. We know if you want to avoid falling to the enemy, you got to know the tactics and you got to know the schemes of the enemy. And the Bible does tell us that there's three major ways that Satan tries to tempt us and get us off course. Uh, if you look at 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, we see three specific ways the devil tries to get us away from God. And it says this, 1 John 2, 16, for all that's in the world, and here's the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those three things are like traps that are waiting to catch us and to cause us to be falling into sin. First, the lust of the flesh. Well, that's pretty much the sexual scene. I think that would be uh, premarital sex. And boy, I'll tell you, uh, to find a couple that are virgins is a rarity in our society. Bible does not contone premarital sex, and yet we see it all over the place. Uh, we know there's major issues with pornography, big issues, even high stats within the church, and not just for men, but now even moving into the realm of the females as well. We look at adultery and affairs. So Satan is trying sexually to pull us again away from the Lord. That's the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes is materialism. I want this. I need this. And, uh, and uh, the advertisement industry is out there all the time. So you've got to have, you must have, because if you don't, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be satisfied. You need this. You've got to get this because that's what's going to fill you up. That's the lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life is selfishness. Basically, it's the attitude, it's all about me. I don't know if you know anybody that illustrates that lifestyle, but it's like, it's me. And the pride of life really stems right from Satan himself because he wasn't willing to be under God. He wanted to be an equal. He wanted, it was all about him. And if you look at some references in Isaiah and Ezekiel, uh, he basically talks where he exalts himself. It's all about me. It's all about pride. Uh, there's a verse here uh, in regards to this temptation thing. Um, 
It's found in James chapter 1. And if you look at verse 13, listen to this. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So God is not the author of temptation, James says, but he goes on further. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It's, I want this. I want the sexuality. I want uh, this materialism. I want to be number one. It's the lust, whatever. It says when lust has conceived, in other words, when we give into it, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Okay, so number one, uh, we're in a world that tries to tempt us and pull us away, and Satan is the one behind it, and he has all kinds of strategies to pull us down. Okay, so number two, uh, there's steps to overcome temptation. Nobody's going to be immune from temptation. Everybody on this screen, probably on a tele basis, there's some level of a temptation happening in each of our lives. Before I specifically go on that, let me just say, number one, it is not a sin to be tempted. Let me repeat that. It is not a sin to be tempted. We can't stop thoughts from popping in our minds. Evil thoughts, all kind of crazy thoughts. It is not a sin. It's what do I do when the thought comes into my mind? Do I embrace it? Do I cherish it? Or do I cast it out. Uh, to prove that temptation is not sin, we know the Bible is very clear. Jesus was tempted. Just read after his baptism. He was tempted in the wilderness, and yet the Bible says he was perfect and without sin. So just be very clear, because I know people over the years, just because they're, they have a bad thought uh, or a bad emotion that rises up, they think, oh my, I've sinned. This is terrible. No. It's only a sin, I think, as it says, as we embrace that thought and begin to meditate upon it and act on it. So with that being said, uh, I think there are steps to overcoming temptation. Number one, I think we need to realize uh, that we have weaknesses. Every single one of us on this Zoom call has weaknesses, and they may be different for each of us. I think David basically thought to himself, this couldn't happen to me. I love the Lord with all my heart. I'm following God. I worship God. I'm sold out to God. This couldn't happen to me. And maybe uh, that could come through anybody's minds here. You know, I love God. How could I ever do something like this? And folks, I'll tell you, this, this, this humbles me big time. Because if David, who loved the Lord with all his heart, who is one of the major characters of the Bible, if he fell, that means you and I could fall just as easily. So if we ever get to the point where we think, I'm beyond temptation, I'm beyond falling, watch out, because that's the first step that you're in trouble. So I think, uh, number one, in overcoming temptation, realize we're weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, therefore, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Okay? 
Let him who thinks he stands. In other words, who thinks I, I got it together? No big problem with me. Uh, once you start thinking you're self-sufficient, I can handle this, we're in trouble. Let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, if you look at a story, uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Pressure's on him. The disciples are there. Uh, it's, it's a really tense scene because Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas shortly. And Jesus says this to Peter, because Peter also has the name Simon. So listen to what Jesus said to Peter. This is in uh, Luke chapter 22, verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith might not fail, and that you, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And listen to what Peter said. Jesus just said, Peter, guess what? Satan's after you, and you better watch it. Uh, and basically, Jesus says, you know, uh, I'm going to pray for you because I know you're going to slip and slide. And listen to Peter's response. Verse 33, and Peter said to him, Lord, with you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. In other words, there's nothing going to shake me, Jesus. No, I am your man. And then Jesus said to him, I say to you, Peter, the cock will not crow today until you have denied me three times that you know me. Okay. So uh, we've got to watch it. In fact, listen to what Jesus said to the disciples in that same setting, Matthew 26, 41. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So we've always got to realize that we are dependent on the Lord. If we ever get to the point where we think, I can handle this on my own, we are beginning to be in a very dangerous area. Recognize we have weaknesses. Number two, uh, in overcoming temptation, realize there's no temptation that you and the Lord together cannot handle. Uh, let me back that up by a scripture. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says this. No temptation has overtaken you. Okay, this is back to the Bible, people. But folks, it's saying it to everybody on this screen. Okay. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, that you may be able to endure it. So what the Lord's saying here is just realize when temptations come, he's never going to let more come on us that we and him together can't handle. It kind of plugs back into the weakness. Yes, I know I'm weak, but also realize I know I'm strong in the Lord. He's never going to allow things to get over my head that I can't handle if I have them by my side. So important to remember that he said, yeah, you're weak, but I can give you the strength so you don't fall. So we don't have to prepare and say, well, it's inevitable. I've got to fall into temptation, not according to the word. God says, no, I will give you the grace to get through. Uh, and then uh, I'd say uh, there's there's two other things we can do to overcome temptation, which is 
capture our negative thoughts quickly. This is a big one. I, I can't tell you how important this one is. And the older I get, the more insightful I see why it was written in the Bible. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 5. It says, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Let me read it again. Bringing every, not some, not most, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, if thoughts come into my mind, that's not a temptation. I mean, that's not a sin. It's a temptation. But it's what do I do with those thoughts? And the Bible says if they're negative, if they're unbiblical, I need to immediately grab them, take them captive, and basically reject them and move on. I think, let me give you an illustration of that. Probably when we looked at the different ways Satan comes at us, I think probably maybe one of the most primary ways Satan is coming at this generation is through sexual temptation. I mean, it is all over the place, all over the place. Take every thought captive. So let me give you an illustration. Uh, so let's say I'm going to play it for guys, but it could also be a woman thing. It could be turned around. But let's say you're a guy and you're on the beach uh, and you see this beautiful lady walk by that is very shapely. Gentlemen, I'm sure we've all been there. And if you flip it, I'm sure, ladies, you can go the other way. By the way, let me just give you a little sidelight on this. Kathy and I were blessed uh, recently just to go to Hawaii. And we spent a part of the day on Waikiki Beach. Well, that was an experience because there was very little on these ladies. I mean, just enough barely to cover whatever. So talking about taking your thoughts captive, I mean, it was like nonstop. <laughs> so you take one thought captive and the next person walks in front of you and you take another one. And it's like, oh, my word, it's like you're, you're spinning around like a top. And, <clears throat> you know, I think uh, my father said, you know, you're not going to be immune to sexual temptation till you're dead. And I'm 74 and I'm still alive. And I'm still noticing these ladies walking by. So what do you do? Basically, uh, what the Bible says, okay, you can recognize, and let, you know, what are you going to do? They're right in front of your eyeballs. They're very attractive. And every one of us, I'm sure, has some kind of a attraction to the opposite sex, somebody that looks very sharp. There's just some kind of like a knee-jerk magnetism that happens, I think, to most everybody. Uh, <clears throat> You can't stop that uh, unless maybe you're blind or something like that. So you feel the pull. Uh, that's a natural thing, but that's a temptation. And you have to literally begin to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to take my focus off this. I'm going to bring it back to the Lord. Uh, and, you know, we need the grace of God to do that. We really do. Uh, I don't think we can do that all by ourselves. Uh, a book that I found. Uh, very helpful for guys. It could be for ladies as well. Uh, it's by Bob Sorge. Uh, that's Bob and then Sorge, S-O-R-G-E. And it's a covenant with my eyes. And he's quoting basically where Job made that statement that he, he took a covenant. God, 
by your grace, I'm going to keep my eyes in the right spot, talking more of a sexual realm. And I'm choosing that when I feel the temptation, I'm going to choose by your grace to reorient my mind and bring it back to you. So there is a battle going on sexually in our culture. It's just obvious. And for David, I think there was a battle. Uh, David looks out and, uh, you know, I don't know if he was trying to find something, see something, or he just glanced somewhere. It doesn't matter. But when he saw Bathsheba and here she is bathing, probably has very little on, if anything, it's like, whoa, it's like he's caught, just literally caught and he's captivated. I can almost see what's happening to him. And he's looking and he's looking. And instead of taking the thought captive, he keeps looking and he keeps looking and he gives into the look and more and more. And now I wonder, it's not only is it in a mind thing, because as he kept playing around in his mind, now it actually turned into an action where he actually went after Uriah's wife. He knew better than that. He knew it was unbiblical, but Satan hooked him literally. So it's so important to do that. What should he have done? I'll give you an example of somebody that did it right. David didn't do it right there. In the Old Testament, we see this. The story of Joseph. In Joseph, and this is Genesis 39, and Joseph is trying to be a good guy, and he's living with Potiphar, but Potiphar's wife is definitely hot for Joseph, and she's pursuing him sexually. She wants to have a relationship. She's not honoring her husband, Potiphar. She wants Joseph because he, the Bible says he's a very handsome-looking guy. So we, we see this in uh, Genesis 39, verse 13. When she saw uh, that he had left his garment outside in her hand. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. Let me get it straight. 39.10. I'm sorry. I was ending it. 39.10. It says, and it came about as she spoke to Joseph, Joseph day after day, that he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. And she caught on by his garment. So she, I mean, this lady isn't messing. She's not just saying it with her word. She grabs a hold of him to try to get him literally to have an affair. I mean, it's about as aggressive as you can get. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And this is what he did. He left his garment in her hand and he fled and went outside. That's the way to handle sexual temptation. He fled. He ran. Uh, And if we don't run, in a sense, with our eyes and get him back on the Lord, we're going to sink. And that's not a good picture at all. So. In regards to overcoming temptation, realize that we have weaknesses. Realize, number two, the Lord will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear with his grace. Number three, take the thoughts that are negative captive. Number four, don't put yourself in tempting situations. Don't put yourself in tempting situations. It's interesting. uh, From what we can see, David should have been with his men. But look what happens uh, in 11.1. Then it happened 
in the spring at the time when kings, okay, David, okay, goes out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. They destroyed the sons of Ammon, besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. He's at the wrong place. He should have been with his men fighting, but somehow he ends up back in Jerusalem. And I would wager to say he's probably relaxing, taking it easy, and basically is captured by something he wasn't planning for. So I think it's important um, to stay out of tempting situations. He should have been with his men. So basically, uh, some people live life like, how close can I get to the fire and not get burned? That's not a good slogan. In other words, if you're somebody that's overweight and you're trying to lose weight, you don't go to a pastry store and look through the window and say, hmm, let me look at the food because you're setting yourself up for an issue. If you're having an issue uh, with sexuality, uh, then probably you ought to watch certain movies and make sure that they're not appropriate. There are just certain ones, PG-13s definitely are. We just know if you're looking at certain things, you're setting yourself up to move in that direction by watching that. Uh, people that are wrestling with pornography away, in a sense, to help protect yourself is put a block on the internet, put a block on the computer. It's, it's just taking steps to not put yourself in a situation you could fall. Uh, it's like not hanging around with the wrong group of people. For instance, if you're wrestling with an alcoholic issue, you don't want to necessarily hang with buddies that are drinkers, okay? You're just putting yourself in a situation where you can fall and get into trouble. So again, <clears throat> be careful who you hang around with. So those are steps you can practically tape. And, and let me just say before <clears throat> I begin to uh, go a little bit further, to say this, beware, number one, when you're tired and beware when you're stressful. You're more vulnerable to fall in those situations. When we're tired, our guard can, can begin to slip. When we're stressed, we can run to something that we shouldn't. So I think there's an important thing. And the other thing I think in regards to um, helping us overcome temptation, it's not just always fighting the negative. It's doing the positive. It's having a strong devotional life. It's making sure you can get up and you have your time with the Lord, taking time to read the Bible, taking time to pray. Um, I can't say the, the importance, how important it is to have like an accountability person, a close person uh, that you can interact with, that you can share your life with, you can share your struggles with, your temptations, your joys, your sorrows. Uh, a strong devotional life definitely gives you the ability to overcome temptation. Uh, it's not just fighting the negative. It's putting the positive within you. Okay. And as we wrap up here, uh, there are steps to receive forgiveness. Okay. David drops the ball, he sins, but he's confronted by Nathan in 2 Samuel 12, 13. David said, I've sinned against the Lord. So the first step uh, to get back with God is to own up, I did something wrong. 
I sinned. We, had, we can't cover it up. David tried to cover it up for a while, and it just didn't work. But David was very clear, and if you read Psalm 51, he has a, 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 a very powerful confession to God. Psalm 51.1, be gracious, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the greatness of thy, trans, my, thy compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. And he goes on further, verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a steadfast spirit within me, don't cast me away from your presence. So David basically owns up. So if we've sinned, if we sinned, we've got to own up, I'm guilty. Can't blame anybody else. I was wrong. Okay. And I think we may need to do that with the Lord, surely, but we may need to do that with others. If we've hurt other people, then we need to go to them and say, hey, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I sinned against you. But here's good news. Let's say we did that. But listen to some of the promises of God. In Psalm 103, verse 1, David says this, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And listen to what the benefits are. Who pardons all your iniquities and who heals all your diseases? Let me repeat. He pardons all, A-L-L, all your iniquities. He pardons, he forgives all your sins. But I've heard people over the years say, God can't forgive my sin. He can't. I, I, it's, it's horrible what I've done. Uh, you don't know what I've done. And the Bible's clear. God says, I can forgive any sin. The only sin I can't forgive is the one you won't let me forgive. And again, when people say, you don't know what I did, God can't forgive me. God can forgive where people get an abortion just for the sake of a convenience. That happens. God can forgive that. God can forgive extramarital affairs. God can forgive murder, robbery, lying, cheating, anything. He can forgive any sin we have done. Uh, let me give you another verse. Uh, I think it's such a powerful verse uh, in regards to forgiveness. And it's this. It's 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, now listen, this is God's word. This is God speaking. So for anybody here that's carrying a load of guilt for I don't know how long, because some people, it's like they got this big weight on their shoulders or, or they drag a, a, like a, a, a ball that they used to have, a ball and chain when they're in prison, uh, carrying this tremendous load of guilt. Listen to what the Bible says. This is God speaking to whoever may need to hear it. If we confess our sins, that's our job. Confess it. Own up. I did and be specific. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and he's righteous to forgive us our sins. That's what it says. God is faithful to forgive our sins. Any sin you've committed, he said, I will forgive it. And not only that, and he says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not only does God forgive sin, he cleans that dirty feeling on the inside. 
because sometimes we feel dirty, like, man, I'm polluted. I screwed up. I'm horrible. Da, da, da. And God says, no, I forgive it. I remove it. And I'll clean you up on the inside as if it never happened. In Isaiah 1, it says this, though your sins are like scarlet, the Lord says, they shall be white as snow. So I just want to end here that, that God does not want us to feel guilty. I know somebody that did something and they carry guilt. I mean, it's over and over. It's nonstop. They keep hearing it. You did this. You did this. You did this. And, and literally, I think they're beating themselves up. And that's some the way they're trying to atone for what they did wrong. Let me just get the guilt. Let me beat me up. Let me beat me up. And guess what? It neutralizes your walk in Christ to carry that kind of guilt. Uh, it neutralizes you. So realize this, if you're dealing with a guilt issue, if you don't receive God's forgiveness, which he's willing to do, you're basically calling God a liar, okay? You're basically saying, God, you lied, and you're not telling me the truth. And I don't think we want to say to God, you're a liar. The other thing we could be saying is, God, what you did on the cross was not good enough. You see, Jesus took the beating. Somebody needs to be beat. Yeah, you got it. There's sin and, and there's a punishment. And Jesus said, guess what? You don't have to beat you up because I've taken the beating for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. Why don't you receive it? Why don't you accept it? Stop beating yourself up. I took the beating. I think when we receive that, we can begin to feel new on the inside. We can feel restored. Paul, if there's anybody that should have carried guilt, it would be Paul. Because he's out killing Christians. He killed them flat out. And yet Jesus stopped on the, on the road to Damascus. And Paul sees that he did wrong. And he said, I'm the chief of sinners. But you know what with Paul? He didn't live under this guilt trip the rest of his life. He says, forgetting what lies behind, I move forward into the future. So don't get stuck in the past. If you've messed up, ask God for forgiveness. If you never accepted him as your Lord and Savior, invite him into your life. If he's in there as Lord and Savior, realize he'll clean the sin up and he'll put us back on our feet. Good news. That's good news. So may the Lord teach us how to walk with him in a world that's trying to pull us down. And if we do slip and slide and sin, there is a remedy, and that's the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you, Lord, and the Bible uh, that you don't sugarcoat stories, and they're not all, all the good things. You, you let it all hang out. You let us see uh, people's flaws, people's failings, people's sins. And you allowed that uh, in David's life. And it's a lesson for us, Father. So help us to learn from what we've learned in this chapter. Help us, Lord, to know that we're in a world that can trip us up no matter how much we love you. Help us, Lord, to take steps to overcome temptation. It's going to happen. It's not a matter if it will. It's 
it's going to happen and help us to have the steps to overcome it. And Lord, when we lose it, uh, then Father, help us to receive your forgiveness and to move forward into the future, celebrating that you love us and you're always one to forgive us. So touch each one here, Lord, whatever we need to hear in this chapter, whatever we discussed, I pray, Lord, help us to put it into action. And we ask you, Jesus, in your strong and in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You folk have a great day and uh, God bless you all.